0: Hey Pastor Josh here, thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. Matthew chapter 8 in our Bibles. We're working through a series I've titled Jesus Worldview. Jesus Worldview. I'm tired of the views of the world to be honest. Get overwhelmed with the views of the world, to be honest, they're always so difficult to pinpoint and understand exactly what people are trying to do, exactly what their motives are. It's always a sleight of hand in our society, especially here in LA, but man, even more so in our world. But we know leaders have been doing this, world leaders have been doing this for thousands of years. They're always doing something else. They're always up to something else. It's hard to find those who have pure motive. We even see it in the kings of the Bible. All you got to do is read through the book of the kings and just watch what they do. Some will honor the Lord, some will not. I want to see Jesus' worldview, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. I want to see what he has to say. I want to be about my father's business. I don't care about the rest of the business of the world. I want to know what he's up to and what he is saying. That's why we dove into this study through the book of Matthew. Because I wanted to help the church, here our church, have the view of Jesus. And I believe that when you get into his mind, into his heart, into his truth, into his word, what he is trying to say and accomplish, then you have a lens and glasses on in which you can see the world through. How would Jesus think about this? What is his view? What are his ideas? That's what I'm hoping to accomplish as we work through this text. We are in sermon number 37 through the book of Matthew. title of the message today, if you're taking notes, is Following Jesus at a Distance. Following Jesus at a distance. If Jesus was alive today, how many followers would he have? On Insta? On TikTok? Facebook? Twitter? How many followers would he have, I wonder? He had lots of followers in his day, now didn't he? but most of them left and canceled him once he started to speak truth. One day, remember, they were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, which means what? hosanna Hoshanna, which means what? Save now, save now, from what? Remember, he was riding in on the donkey, Palm Sunday. Save now, save now. What do you want me to save you from? Of course, the political parties. They're destroying us, they're suppressing us. Jesus says, I'm sorry. I didn't come to save you from that. I came to save you and all of the politicians from their sins. So they stop hurting each other, they start loving and serving each other. He has a greater agenda to reconcile us back to the God who made us. It's interesting to watch. They were shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna on that day. Save now, save now on that day. But then what would they say on one of his last days? Crucify him. Crucify him. Do you want Barabbas or do you want Jesus, the king of the Jews? We want Barabbas, the murderer. Forget Jesus. Crucify him. What happened to Hoshana? Save now. He had lots of followers, millions. And he went down to about a thousand. No, maybe just 12. You go on his profile, you click on his followers. James, Peter, John. But even them on that day, where were they? They were hiding now, weren't they? Scared that they were about to get crucified to. Today we will look closely at two men who try to jump on the Jesus bandwagon. But the Lord challenges them. They want to get on board. They want to get on the train, the Jesus train, baby. They don't want to miss. And the Lord challenges them right where they're at. The crowds are following him. There's a big crowd following him right now. Everybody loves him right now. Because he's done some miracles we're in Matthew chapter 8 we're going to look at verses 18 to 22 in our text can we stand for the reading of God's word read together we always stand for the reading of God's word to pay honor to him to remember whose word we are reading we honor him we bless him we remember him in his word it's his words we're looking at not mine my words can't change you I promise you that May motivate a little, get people a little excited, but I cannot change anybody. We need Jesus' word to transform the mind and the heart. His word alone can do this. Take a look, verse 18 to 22 of Matthew 8. It says, Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Verse 21, then another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this truth. We thank you for these stories. And we ask now, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you illuminate the text to us? Would you help us to understand what Matthew is writing? Why he put these stories here? What is he trying to say to us? And most importantly, Lord, what are you trying to say to us? What are you saying to us in this day, in this generation? Speak to us. Your servant is listening. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Remember what happened last week in our text? You guys remember? The Lord Jesus has just healed three people. They were all people the culture thought he shouldn't be with and he shouldn't be touching let alone healing. The leper, the Roman soldier, centurion, and the older woman. The leper was an outcast in society and obviously highly contagious. You get leprosy, you're dead. Jesus, what are you doing? You can't touch a leper. That guy didn't even say unclean. He didn't have anything over his head. What are you doing? Don't touch his head. What are you doing? Don't do that. Jesus touches him and heals him. Roman soldier walks up in Capernaum. What in the world is that Roman guard doing here? Is he come to suppress us? Is he going to come and abuse a couple people? Come beat him over the head with a club? Take some money? Steal some taxes? He walks up to Jesus and asks the request, and the crowd watches closely. Lord, you're not actually going to listen to him, are you? Get him out of here. Do a miracle on him. Kick him in the face. Get him out of here, Right? Jesus says, I haven't seen faith in all of Israel like this guy. To the Roman, the non-Jew, the outsider, the suppressor, Lord, you can't say that about him. Jesus heals his servant boy at home. Finally, the old woman that has a fever, Peter's mother-in-law. Lord, do you have time for a fever? Just give her some Advil and get out of there. Lord, we know that men in this society don't approach women like this. What are you doing going into her house? She probably doesn't have the proper garments on. What are you doing? You can't just walk in. She didn't even ask for him to come in. He just walked into the house. said, you have a fever. Let me heal you. Jesus crossed all cultural barriers to heal and save Jesus, our healer. Remember the beginning of our chapter? It tells us that the crowds were following him, and he was going from place to place in the Galilee teaching and healing. Look at verse 18 in our text. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. The other side of what? This is the Sea of Galilee. They are right now in the north of the Sea of Galilee. If you look on a map, you might have one there in the back of your Bible, you'll see Capernaum is at the uh, north kind of west tip of, this, of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is really just a giant lake. Uh, they call it the Sea of Galilee. They call it the uh, Knesseret or the Keneret. They're uh, in Israel now. He's saying we're going to go to the other side, potentially Tiberias, potentially to the south. We'll see him interact with some demon-possessed guys here later in our chapter, uh, potentially Kersi, which is on the northeast side of Galilee. When you go to Israel, all of this will make sense very quickly because you know the area. And there are only a couple hot spots on this, this lake. Verse 19 says, And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What a response. What in the world, foxes and birds? What are you even talking about? I said, I wanted to follow you. Matthew points out these quick interactions. If you notice, they're very quick. To give us an understanding of how our Lord was dealing with the crowds and all the popularity. You see, Jesus is so different than the celebrity of today. He is not interested in having a big crowd. He's not even interested in having followers. He's not interested in money. He's not interested in success according to the world standard. You know this guy showing up, this carpenter who can swing a hammer, and he's not say The crowd starts showing up. And the disciples are like, dude, look at the crowd, Lord. Look at all these people. Jesus is like, man. He desires one thing. Not crowds, not money, not success. He desires one thing, to do the will of him who sent him. My job is to do the will of my father. He's about his father's business. And what business is that? The business of making real disciples. People who love God, people who really love one another. That was his pursuit to make disciples who make disciples. The true measure of a disciple is one who actually makes another disciple. Are you a disciple of Christ? Yes, of course I am. Have you made a disciple? This is the greatest command he gave us. Go therefore and make what? Disciples of all nations. Then baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them to observe what I command you. The best thing you could ever do with your business, the best thing you could ever do with your family, the best thing you'd ever do in your job, in your workplace, in your marriage, with your friends, in your neighborhood, in your city, is make disciples. Who know God and they know God so much so that it transforms the way they treat their neighbor they actually start loving one another in this city why has God given you success why has God given you your gifts talents and abilities why has God given you the opportunities that you have today I challenge you that in them he is calling you and asking you to follow him and to make disciples. Lots of people follow Jesus at a distance. Some try to come close to see what Jesus is all about. It's interesting the way he responds to people sometimes. Because again, we have this idea of this Jesus who just, I don't know, Is just going to let things go all the time. And he doesn't let anything go. He forgives. He's gracious. He pours out love and compassion, no doubt. But he takes time to speak truth into people's lives. Look at the woman at the well. Did he not love her and serve her? He did. Only after saying, Where is your husband? with a smile on his face. And she's like, Oh, I don't have a husband. That's right, you were uh, married uh, four times and the guy you're with right now is not your husband. He says this to her. And then she says, I perceive you're a prophet. Yes. What about the rich young ruler? Lord, I'm rich, I'm young, and I rule. I got power, I got influence. And check this out, Lord, I have obeyed all ten of the commandments since I was young. I'm that guy. Can you believe that? Lord, you want me on your team. I'm rich, I'm young, I'm cool, and I'm a ruler. Jesus says, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Then come follow me. What? No, no, you don't get it. I'm a ruler. I I got influence. I'm rich. I got money, and and I'm young. I got youth. You, You want me right here in this position to make some moves for you, Jesus. Trust me. You don't know who I am. He says, no, you don't know who I am. I own everything. I don't need any of this stuff. Jesus testing people all the time to see where their heart is at. This first man comes up to him who is a scribe, the Bible says. Bible students, a scribe. Do you remember what a scribe is? A scribe is a teacher of the Torah and a scholar in his day. Truly an expert in the Bible. Scribes who are highly respected in their towns. They're like brain surgeons of the Bible. You, you find somebody here in L.A. and you're like, what do you do for a living? I'm a brain surgeon. Oh, okay. This guy was a brain surgeon of the Bible. Clearly lots of success and intellect. Let's look closely at what he says and why this brings forth Jesus' answer. Our first clue as to his relationship with Jesus is what the scribe calls him. Take a look at verse 19. It says, and a scribe came up to him and said, teacher. I will follow you wherever you go. In Matthew's gospel, he writes five different times when people come up to Jesus and call him teacher. And each time they walk away sorrowful. We don't know if they eventually become disciples, but the text implies they go away sorrowful because the commands the Lord gives them are difficult. We know that when the Roman soldier walked up to him, what did he call Jesus? Lord. He didn't call him teacher. He didn't call him good teacher. A lot of people do this in this society. Jesus was a good teacher. No, 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 no. He's not just a teacher. He's the risen Lord. You know what's that Jesus part amongst every good religious guru and teacher on the planet? One thing. The resurrection everyone else is dead and Jesus dared to say I will raise myself from the dead he says that when he's alive come to my funeral watch what I'm gonna do you want to sign destroy the temple and in three days I will resurrect it he says in John's gospel they say it took 40 years to build the temple how are you gonna raise it back up in three days it says the temple he was speaking about was his own body That's what sets Jesus apart from every religious guru on the planet. They all face death and death conquered them. And they're supposed to be leading religious gurus on the planet. And the one guy challenges death and sin like no one else and then resurrects himself from the dead. And this is the point that must be proven wrong in our society, in Christianity, in order to push the whole thing away. The resurrection of Christ haunts me all the days of my life. If I have moments of doubt, or there isn't a God, or is Christianity the right way, or is the Bible true, I can't get away from this one thing. Did Jesus really rise from the dead? If he did, this changes everything. He really is the Messiah, he really is the Lord. He really is God incarnate. He really can forgive sins. He can't go around saying these types of things. C.S. Lewis said, the great writer, he said that Jesus was either a liar and a lunatic or he was telling the truth. He said crazy things you can't say. You can't say you're the Son of God. You, if somebody can't walk up to you and you say, I forgive you of your sins. Who are you? You can't forgive people of sin. This guy walks up to Jesus and calls him teacher. The expert on the Torah. Rabbi. Very impressive on the surface, especially in front of all the crowd. But Jesus saw through all of his academics and accolades and Jesus looks at his heart. Jesus looks right at his heart. It's a moment of... Almost someone look, looking right through you. Did you have a mom growing up? That moment when you got in trouble, did something terrible, and she looks at you. Did you do that? Oh, no. Son, you're lying. It's the moment when Peter had denied Jesus three times and the Lord had told him prior, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. And it says there in the Gospels that as Peter denies him for the third time, Jesus is passing by and he looks across and sees Peter denying him. Peter locks eyes with the Lord. Jesus looks right through him. I told you you would deny me three times before the rooster crow. Jesus looks through this man and he says, I see your academics. I see your accolades. You impress the crowd. There's a big crowd around us, huh? Interesting you say this in front of the big crowd very loudly, just loud enough so everyone can hear. Jesus looked at his heart. You see, this wasn't a difficult thing to say in this moment. There's thousands of people following Jesus in this moment. The crowds are large, and this would no doubt bring this scribe popularity and more success as well, to jump on the coattails of Jesus and ride them for a little while. Jesus, you need a scribe on the team like me. Do you know who I've studied with? Did you read any of my articles Just that book I put out. He would say to Jesus, you need me on your team. Jesus turns around and says, really? Wherever I go, you will follow me? Secretly thinking, will you say this on that day? On the cross with me? So the Lord responds with, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus is saying to this scribe, I'm not on a path of going up in society, I'm on a path of going down. He says, will you follow me and be homeless with me? Will you give up everything to follow me? Jesus says, at least foxes have holes to sleep in and birds have nests to lay in but the son of man has no place to call home. You still want to follow me wherever I'm going? Jesus is pointing out to this big brain scribe that he didn't know who Jesus is. He's like, you still don't get it. And you're an expert on these writings and you don't get it. You're the professor, you don't get it. Point number one, if you're taking notes, To be ashamed to be named with Jesus. To be ashamed to be named with Jesus, following at a distance, following just far enough so you're not fully associated with him, but just close enough so that the crowd say, oh, cool, awesome. This guy had worked his whole life to gain status. No way he was going to give it up to follow Jesus and potentially find himself with nothing at the end of his life. He wasn't willing to follow Jesus to the cross a lot of people like the idea of following Jesus to heaven. They just don't want to leave. They just want to leave the cross part out of it. People love following Jesus to heaven, but they want to leave that whole cross stuff out of it. Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. I'm not ashamed of Jesus because, hey, he's the one doing the saving and whatever the path is, I want to figure out what's going on. I love what R. Kent Hughes said about this. He said, you see, Jesus had no faith in this man's faith because he knew that at the heart of this scribe's bold declaration was self-love, not self-denial. A desire for power, not a willingness to be powerless. Without a home, without esteem, and possibly without a life. Jesus would say later in Luke 9, 23, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. you got to give up your way. The Roman centurion, remember the Roman guard, came to Jesus with not being an expert in the scriptures. He's a Gentile. He wasn't raised in synagogue. He didn't go to Jewish school when he was growing up. He was not anywhere near a scribe. He's the furthest thing from a scribe. And here the next moment Jesus is talking to a real scribe, a real expert in the scriptures, Jesus is not impressed with knowledge. Again, he is impressed with faith. What do you believe about what you know? What do you believe with all of your heart about what you know? You know the scriptures. You must know that it's speaking of me, the Messiah, he would say to him. How are you not believing with all of your heart when you know the scriptures? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. What does it mean to take up your cross? It means to deny yourself of what you want. That's the most contradictory thing in this society now, isn't it? Yes, say no to your feelings, say no to yourself. And say yes to what God wants for your life. This is Christianity. We're dying to self, we're being crucified with Christ. This is what we did in baptism yesterday. We are identifying with his death, burial, and resurrection in baptism. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives within me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20 I'm crucified with him. I no longer follow my own desires. People say I was born feeling this way. I say yes you were. Born sinning, born doing terrible things, born feeling like cutting that person off, born feeling like hating that person, born feel like cheating on your spouse, born feeling like committing sexual sin, born feeling like I should steal that and lie about this, born feeling all of that, and Christ is calling you to deny to crucify, and to follow him with all of your being. Yeah, you're following God's way and not your own way. That is so opposite L.A. now, isn't it? And they would cancel him. We would cancel him. I would cancel him as well, had I come in contact with him face to face. I am not holy enough either to stand before the risen Lord, to stand before the Christ. He would pinpoint my heart as well. He would find me. By the grace of God, I would fall on my knees in repentance. By the grace of God alone. Not because we're great people. He's challenging the heart of this great man in society. He does the same with the rich young ruler. Why can't we give it up? Why can't this guy give it up Jesus is saying are you ashamed to only have me the Lord you have to have you can't associate with me because they will abandon you you need all this other stuff the Lord is calling us to follow him with our whole heart not half and that's why he challenges these men he's telling this scribe you're still holding on to the world Mark 8:36 Jesus would say, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but you lose your own soul? What if you gain the whole thing? Jesus sent the scribe away to really go and think and pray and reflect if he really wants to follow the Messiah with his whole life. And family, some of you today need to do this. The Lord has brought you here to reflect on the cost of following him. It may cost you a lot. Yeah, but if I start like being a real Christian, then what, a, what are they going to think about me? What if I lose in this world? What if I lose opportunity? But Jesus is saying, though, scribe, you may give up your plush professor job and the respect of the world. You may become a fool for me according to the world. You may lose your home to follow me, but I am going to prepare a place for you in heaven, a home for you in heaven. You'll never regret it. That's the harsh reality of heaven is that when we cross over, when we step into eternity, and we're standing there looking at the Lord. We look back on life and say, why, why didn't I? Matthew 19, 29, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Do you believe this? What happened to the softy Jesus our culture tries to cling to? Where's the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Jesus with the lamb around his neck doing the peace sign? He was never blonde hair, blue eyes. He's dark skin, dark eyes, dark hair, and had a beard. And Isaiah tells us that we couldn't recognize him or we wouldn't. He, had, he was nothing to behold. He wasn't a good-looking guy. You wouldn't have known. He didn't have a halo around his head. His robe, his white robe wasn't glowing. He didn't float when he walked. He's, he probably. He was in the sun all the time. He swung a hammer. He had dark skin from the sun beating down on his skin all the time. Leather hands. He's a blue-collar worker. You'd never notice him. He's a construction guy. until so you listen to his words. The crowds are astonished and amazed at what he would do and who he would talk to and who he would spend time with. What happened to the softy Jesus our culture tries to cling to? Lord, have some understanding. Why are you being so rough on this guy? Jesus says, no, this guy is more interested in getting than giving. Matthew reveals this is a surface follower of Jesus, and there were lots of them, and there are still lots of them today. And family, I, I plead with you, don't be one of them. Follow the Lord with your whole heart, with all of your life. Love God with all of your life and prove it by loving your neighbor. And is this a bummer? No, it's the greatest thing we could ever do. It's the most satisfying thing we could ever do in the universe. This is what we are made to do, is to walk with God and know Him. And this is when real peace shows up. We're not stressed out by the demands and the fear of man of the world anymore. What people think of me and what people want from me. I'm going to do what God wants. And I want to know what God thinks about me. And then I'm finally able to live at peace in this world and love people genuinely. God's going to take care of me. He's going to take care of my career. He's going to take care of my family. He's going to take care of my marriage. He's going to take care of my life. I trust Him above the whole world. This is loving God. And this is what Jesus is calling the scribe to. We don't know what happened to Him, but... Matthew just moves on. He says, next, verse 21, take a look at your text. Another of the disciples, it actually used the word disciples, said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Okay, that's it, Jesus. This is too much. You can't say this to people. But well, Lord, let me go bury my father. The crowd's like, no, you let, him go, let him go bury his father. This is a good thing. Come on, come on let him go bury his father. This is a good thing. Do you, let the dead bury the dead. With a smile and a twinkle in his eye, and he just moves on. What is he saying? We have another man. Notice he calls Jesus Lord. This is a good start. But the next three words are a problem. Lord, let me first. Lord, let me first. Let me first. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness? No. Let me first grab my stuff. I'm ready to go wherever you're going to go, Lord. No, let me first go bury my father. What's wrong with that, you say? Well, it's not on the surface of the text. That's why it's important to study context and understand what's happening in the Jewish mind. You see, this man's father is still alive. How do we know that? Because according to Jewish tradition, many Jews, even to this day, when a person dies... They try to bury the family member immediately and bury the person on the same day that they died. Then they mourn for seven days without changing their clothes, bathing, shaving, nothing. They sit and mourn with family and friends that come to visit them and comfort them for seven days. And on the eighth day, they would burn their clothes, shave their heads, bathe, and then move forward in life. They would exhaust the mourning process for seven days and then move forward. So somebody dies, they try to bury him on that day. Get the family together. We're going to bury him today and we're mourning. They cry and they weep together. And they spend time together and try to encourage each other. A great picture of this is Job. Remember Job? His friends come to console him and talk with him. And that's the conversation happening in the book of Job. After his family members had died. This man is saying... Lord, let me go bury my father first, which means that he is not dead, and who knows when his father might pass. There is more to this story, though, because sons would be involved in the business of their fathers in that day. And his livelihood was wrapped around his father and his business. What he is saying to Jesus is, Lord, let me go home, run my dad's business until he passes, then I will be free from my responsibilities as a son. I will get my inheritance. I'll get my inheritance, me and you, Lord, inheritance, baby. I'm going to get some cash. Have lots of cash on hand, and then I will have time to follow you. I don't have time right now. Jesus says, no, if you don't have time now, you won't then. Follow me, leave the dead to bury their own dead. Wow. Point number two today, there's only two points, don't worry. (laughs) Too busy to follow Jesus. Too busy to follow Jesus. Jesus says, forget the money, I own it all. Leave the dead to bury the dead, you can follow me now. I can't afford to follow you now, Lord. I have to build this and do that. I have to give my life to other things. I'll get around to spending time in the word with you. I'll get around to praying soon when this happens. I'll get around to teaching my kids and praying with them soon. I'll get around to using the gifting you gave me for for the glory of you soon. I have to use it to do a couple other things right now first. And I'll get around to being generous soon, Lord. I'll tithe and bring my offering when I get a little more cash. I'll, I'll do that ministry thing you put on my, on my heart soon, Lord. I'm going to get after it. One of, one of these days I'll come to church every Sunday to worship and it'll be a rhythm of my life. I, I promise I'm going to get around to it soon. I, I just have to do this thing first. Is the Lord Jesus your first priority or is it something else I have to go do this first then I'll get to worshiping you trust me I I live in this society too I love projects I love building things I love the next hobby I love the next thing you just ask my wife it's like what is Josh interested in it's like what is he not interested in does Josh stop working when he gets home? He never stops working. He, he has a problem relaxing when we go on vacation. This is my dilemma. This is my issue. Confession time. You guys are priests, right? We're all good, right? You, you really are. The text says this. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the, uh, I like that. <laughs> Somebody blessed me in the crowd. I was thankful. Confession time. The Bible actually calls you priests, yes. If you're a Christian, you are actually a priest. And priestess, so congratulations. You don't have to go to the priest. You are the priest. The holy priesthood of God. A chosen race. A royal priesthood. Amen. Kings and queens, for his glory. Sons and daughters of the king. Me too. Busy. There's always something. And um, this city doesn't help in that we just have so many distractions and so many things going on. And, you know, the traffic adds to it, right? Let's talk about real cultural problems. It actually is one. It's like, oh, I'm going to go hang out with so-and-so. Oh, dang, it's going to take me 45 minutes to get there. We're going to go to so-and-so's house and have dinner. Oh, 35 minutes. We can't pull it off. We have these... The culture demands that you are successful, that you have money if you actually want to have... Uh, a place to stay here in this society—it demands um, that you act and feel a certain way. You live in certain neighborhoods. It—it it does a lot of things that cause us to be stressed and overwhelmed, and feel like we have to do more and be more busy and more busy about work, success, and money. And it's hard. This is a—it's a rough place to live. That's why a lot of people don't stay here very long, unless you grew up here. Those people are in for three to five years and then they're out. Unless they build a life and success and money and then they can actually stay. And so it's easy to be busy. But I'm telling you, at the end of your life, when you were looking back on your life, you're going to be wishing that you would have prioritized the Lord as the first thing in your business with the way you handle your finances with the way you handle your marriage, with the way you handle your kids, with the way you handle your neighborhood, you're going to be asking at the end of your life, what was I supposed to do with this life that God gave me? Did I do it? Because I'm about to see him. It's going to be a big conversation. As I ask people this sometimes, often I say, are you, are you doing what God's calling you to do? Are, are you able to die today if you needed to? Did you do it? Did you accomplish what God has entrusted to you? Family, if you are not ready to give all of your life to Jesus now, don't plan on it tomorrow. After all, no one knows the day or hour we will step into eternity, and there won't be another opportunity on earth. James 4.13 says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow, we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make profit. He says, You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. He says, You are a vapor that shows up and then vanishes. Solomon would tell us, Teach us to number our days that we may have hearts of wisdom. Count your days that you may have hearts of wisdom. Our days are numbered. We don't know how long we have on this earth. In heaven, we won't have to live by faith because we will see him. Earth is our last chance to live a life of faith. No faith in heaven because you will see him. This is your last chance on earth to live a life of faith. This is it. Jesus says, follow me, leave the dead to bury their own dead. What does this mean? The Lord only sees people in one of two spiritual states. Bible students, one of two spiritual states on earth, he sees them as dead or alive. Spiritually dead or spiritually alive. Dead in sin, still living for self, alive or alive in Christ, now living for God. Jesus said, I see dead men walking. The walking dead. They need to be resurrected. And that's why he came to forgive and bring dead men, dead women to life. To have life in that abundantly. And to show the world what life in that abundantly looks like with God, that they would see your good works, glorify your Father who is in heaven, and start walking with the God who made them. Let the dead bury the dead, he says. Let the dead spiritually, who can't see spiritually, handle the dead. You be about the spiritual kingdom I'm calling you to live in now. The world can handle the business. You can build business anytime. I'm asking you to follow me now. This guy didn't see that he just got a personal invitation from the Lord Jesus to come follow him in the flesh on earth. Amazing. Amazing. He was too busy and had more important things to do. What he he would have come to understand had he left all and followed the Lord was that Jesus was only going to be on the earth for three more years. Then gone forever. Then the cross, resurrection, and ascension into heaven. And forever now, he is the guy in the Bible who is too busy to follow the Lord. He wanted the money of his father instead. Jesus is looking you in the eyes and says, For, just follow me, dude. We got this. You follow me. Your dad's going to have the best burial ever. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. Do you believe this? No doubt the Lord is not calling everyone individually to this calling of following Him on the earth in the flesh for three years, or you would have been there and I would have too. But He's calling us to give up all of our lives for Him. That's our craft, business, money, status, work, play, family, our minds, our life should all be for His glory, not our own. Denying ourselves daily and lifting up Jesus daily as Lord over our lives this is what Jesus is telling this guy and us to do. we got to figure out how to use everything we have in our life to turn it and bring him for glory. How are you going to do that with what you're doing in life? What do you do all day in your job? Who do you talk to? Who are you spending time with here in this city? How are you going to take all of your life and relationships and introduce people to the God who made them. You have to be asking this question because the one task he gave you to do is go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. You don't have to be a jerk. You don't have to be mean. But you got to figure out how this works in your life. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, 1 Corinthians 10.31, do all for the glory of God. Even eating and drinking might as well add breathing. Breathe for the glory of God. Work for the glory of God. Do marriage for the glory of God. Have kids for the glory of God. Be a plumber for the glory of God. Be a musician for the glory of God. Be an academic for the glory of God. Please, take all that you have and use it for his glory. This is what Jesus is saying to us today. I love the words of King David. After he saw his sin before the Lord and went to make it right with a sacrifice offering, when he went to purchase all the animals to offer to the Lord, the man selling him the animals says, King David, is that you? Please, I I know you had a big sin that happened, but let me give you these animals for free as your sin offering. It's my gift for you, King, please. Take these and offer them to the Lord for your sin offering. It's on the house, King David. David says, absolutely not. 2 Samuel 24, 24. I will not give to the Lord that which costs me nothing. If it doesn't cost me, I'm not giving it. It has to cost me or it's not worth anything. And I sense that the church and Christianity of today doesn't want to sacrifice an inch or have it cost them anything to bring God glory. I don't know what it is for you. i got to figure out what it is for me. But you got to start praying about this. Lord, what are you calling me to do? What are you calling me to sacrifice? What are you calling me to give up? How do you want me to walk with you? Family, the Lord is calling us into deeper fellowship with Him, not as the world does, not even as many followers of Jesus do, but real discipleship, costly discipleship, giving up our lives to bring Him glory, giving up our lives to point everyone to a relationship with Him. People are going to think I'm a fool. So what? It's amazing when you look, look who Jesus uses in the Bible. It's rare for Him to use the kings and queens and royalty, he uses fishermen and tax collectors and average people on the street, prostitutes, he uses the, the, the low people of the street. This is how he infiltrates and builds the kingdom. I hope your life is doing this. I hope all that you have is doing this. After all, isn't that why we're here on earth? To love God. We're created to know him. To love people by pointing them to this God. Helping them come to know the one who made them. And then enjoying the earth he has given us. Trust me, I'm not trying to steal your fun. I am going to have an absolute blast. All the days of my life not going to stop. I'm going to have a blast. I'm going to have as much fun as I possibly can. I'm going to be dead serious about the things of God and then enjoy the earth that God has created for you. Don't miss it. Don't follow Jesus at a distance. Allow him to pinpoint what's in your heart. Say, Lord, I surrender. I give it to you. Can we pray? Let's go before the Lord. Father, we love you. And we ask that you would hear our prayer now. I pray for our church, Lord. I pray for our hearts now. O God, that you would pinpoint the things in our hearts that may be stopping us from being able to worship you with everything. Search me and know me, O God. Try my heart. Know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, I pray for everyone gathered here today that, Lord, we would take these things in our hearts and that we would offer them to you once again and say, Lord, use me. I give you my life. I'm not following at a distance anymore. I'm going to walk with you in close relationship from this day forward. Lord, use me to make disciples in this city with my family, with my friends. Lord, give me wisdom on how to handle them and point them to you. Give me kindness and compassion, gentleness and joy, you fruits of the Spirit. Give me truth, clarity, so I can minister in this city. Lord, I pray that repentance would take place in here today, in your church, and that we would turn to you with all of our hearts, You would be our King. You would be our Lord. You would be our Savior. Forgive us of our sin. We will not give to the Lord that which costs us nothing. We choose to give to you. Please be honored with these gifts, the gift of our life. We do it in Jesus' name. Amen.